0: welcome to video store my name is sam mulberry today we are talking about the 2014 film what we do in the shadow so let's step into barrett fisher's video store barrett how you doing
1: doing great sam
0: uh barrett this is going to be a weird movie to talk about in some ways as i was started to write notes last night i thought okay how do we make this not a podcast where we just say isn't it funny when because <laughs> it's a very <laughs> funny movie and it's like well that's you know um I, i'm going to say and then I'll, we can talk more about this like I really like this movie I found this movie oddly moving at times mm-hmm. um, which which uh, I didn't expect because it especially the, the way that it starts makes it just feel like this is just going to be a kind of funny send up of, uh, of vampires but as as good satire works you know it 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 it, it plays on some interesting uh, interesting direction so we'll I'm sure we'll get into all of that um, what is your history with this film.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't remember how I chanced upon it. I know that I watched it on uh, probably a Netflix disc or Netflix streaming. Um, I, I don't remember what brought it to my attention. Um, I, uh, I, I, I I think I saw it before I saw uh, Taika, Taika Waititi's um, Hunt for the Wilder People. But I may have seen Hunt for the Wilder People and then backed up to this film. I really, really can't remember. I also don't know why I watched it because I'm not, i'm not a big vampire film fan but i do like and it's something i'm sure we'll talk about sam i do like mockumentaries uh and so that may be what may have been what led me to it
0: well maybe before uh, let me let's just go into that like like what is the because i also i also have a, a major draw to uh to mockumentary as a uh subgenre of film or it, it really it's it's almost like a it's not. It it is both its own kind of genre, but it has to attach to something else too. You know, in, in, in a kind of way. Um, what what draws you to mockumentaries? That's a yeah. That, that's an interesting question. I I, th- I think
1: probably it is the 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 successful mockumentary is both parasitical on a genre, but at the same time achieves its own kind of artistic excellence. So when I, when I, you know, when I think about really good mockumentaries, you know, I go back to one of the granddaddy, at least of the 80s, something like this is Spinal Tap, where, you know, not only is it a really excellent send up of an entire kind of culture and even a type of cultural icon, but the music is pretty good and, and, and the performances are, are good. I feel the same way about um, Christopher Guest's Mighty Wind, which uh, I think is a really great mockumentary because the, the, the songs stand up on their own and the other thing i like about mockumentaries is that um they're generally not a hard satire they're they're generally more of a kind of affectionate sending up so kind of underneath it you feel a, a sort of affection for the genre but at the same time an awareness of the ridiculousness of the of the genre uh or pushing the genre to the point of being uh, of being kind of kind of silly but at the same time really really engaging. Another mockumentary I really like, would, another early one, would be Woody Allen Zellig. Um And 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 that just also ha- happens to have some really cool special effects, which is kind of another, summarized some, some aspect of the mockumentary. So, I think what I like about the mockumentary is you're holding kind of contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time. Like, this is silly. Why do we watch movies like this? But, hey, these guys are, the, the, these guys in this movie, for example, are really kind of interesting. And even, Uh, even attractive in some ways. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, completely unrelated to this being our movie for this week on Friday night. um, My, my family uh, we've been, we finished watching our way through Peter Jackson's uh, Beatles. uh, I don't know if you call it a documentary, what you call get back. I don't know if you watched that, but it's Mm -hmm. this, it's the eight this eight hour Beatles um, documentary that came out around Thanksgiving, which is essentially he had 150 hours of footage from, uh, 1969, when they basically wrote and produced um, both Let It Be and Half of Abbey Road. Um, mm-hmm. And they had a film crew with them. So we watched this. It's eight hours long. So we watched it over several nights. And when we finished, the first thing we did was watch This Is Spinal Tap, um, which which all of us had seen in our family. It's one of our favorite movies. But it was it was a natural thing to say, like, I want a little bit more of what we just watched. What could we watch? And we watched Spinal Tap because it's, it's so clear that... um when you do a mockumentary like it, there is often such a loving homage to the thing that you're that you're satirizing you know and there there are just and there are these moments when you watch the real thing um where you realize like oh my gosh that sounds so much like somebody making fun of this like 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 it's there there's almost no line between reality and comedy when it comes mm-hmm. to these things now i will say i'm a huge christopher guest fan um, I have my, my, I haven't, my mom has a brother and a sister. Her brother is a, uh, career studio musician, touring musician, uh, and her sister is a a playwright. Um, and I've talked with both of them independently about watching my uncle watching Spinal Tap and my aunt watching Waiting for Guffman, um, you know, having living her life in the theater. And, and it's funny cause they both love those movies and find them almost unwatchable <laughs> cause, because they're like, I have lived every one of these scenes too much that it's like, I, I can't, I, I can't do that. So it makes me wonder, you know, if, 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 uh, if vampires were to watch what we do in the shadows, like how much of that would hit too close to home for them. Um, I was trying to think of other, other mockumentaries that I'm drawn to. And I even did a Google search for like, you know, greatest mockumentaries to just say so, like, is there things I'm not thinking of. Um, and it, for me, most of them really are the Christopher guest movies. A lot of other things that, that were on the list There's either stuff I saw, but I didn't really think of in terms of a, being a mockumentary, but I will say the other thing that I am a huge fan of, which is a uh, definitely a, a crueler mockumentary, is the original um, British office, the, uh, the office the, the British version of the office, which is which takes the, or the the documentary faux documentary a lot more seriously than the American version um, of that does. but um, you know I was thinking about kind of what make what, what draws me to them. And, and part of what I love is that um, you get all of the, I love documentary filmmaking and you get all of the hallmarks of documentary filmmaking. And in some ways, I think I understand documentaries better by watching mockumentaries mm. because I can see, you know, they, they, they've stripped away the content and they've taken the form <laughs> to, to, you know, and so, so they are like interesting, formal exercises. I've often told people, you know, if you're, when I used to be an art teacher, I would always tell my students, like, if you really want to learn how to paint one great exercise is to really do studies of other paintings, like try to do what this other person did and you'll learn how how they did it. You'll learn, you'll learn like elements of form, color, shape, line, all of these things by doing studies of other paintings. Um, And I actually think parody is is also a great way to do this. So like if you, um, I have, I have, um, done some parody work uh, in terms of uh, light filmmaking in my life. And I learned so much more by having to break down a film, not about its content, but about its form. So even things like the use of handheld cameras, you know, in, in, in particular way, like handheld cameras, they use those in, in feature films too, but documentaries use handheld cameras in a different kind of way. Um, or the, the degree to which characters, address camera in a different kind of way in a, you know, in a, in a documentary um, not, not like a staring down the barrel. I mean, there is the um, there is the kind of talking headshot, but just the idea of like a character kind of giving you a tour of something, you know, addressing the camera in that way. Um, the overlapping narration you get. Like, like, I was I was so interested in, in all of the little formal things. This movie, even at the very end, has a reenactment, which I think was like I, I that, that was a moment that I loved when they did the reenactment of Stu becoming a vampire because it's like it's like they were just ticking every box of like, okay, what are things that um what are things that they do? And and, and what they end up doing is really pointing to the best parts of this movie are the mundane parts of life. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, 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 this is not about the exciting parts of being a vampire. It is about the kind of the mundane realities of being a vampire.
1: Yeah. Which is actually, of course, the source of the humor. When you think about, you know, what, what is funny is the idea of, you know, what if you did the real world, you know, featuring, featuring vampires, because it's all those mundane elements of real life that films like this don't actually usually deal with. You know, what do you do during the day uh, if you 're a vampire, or what do you do at night if you 're a vampire? we you know what happens in a typical vampire film is kind of the converse of what happens here right? What happens in a typical vampire film is you get those moments when think about our experience of watching Nosferatu, both Nasratus recently right you you get those moments Nosferatu arrives Nasferatu preys on Lucy I mean you get all these um, you, you get all the predatory highlights. You don't get what's going on the rest, of the, the rest of the time. And so this film, in a sense, kind of flips that on its, on its head. Um, and the other thing I want to expand a little bit on what you were saying earlier, Sam, and that is that I think that one of the pleasures of a film like this is it's part of the pleasures of any genre. I mean, any, anybody who enjoy, you know, most films fit into some kind of generic mold. You know, you and I talked in the past about, you know, it's really nice to meet a film that somehow completely surprises you and does things you don't normally expect a film to do. Um, That doesn't happen a lot. You don't get you don't get many kind of sui generis films like I've never seen this before. But what you do get and what you do look for is, well, I know how X genre works. Now, show me what you're going to do with it. You know, we, we tend to fall back in kind of romantic view of creativity, which is everybody does something new. Um, I'm much more of the T.S. Eliot model, which is everybody, as you pointed out earlier with your example about art, everybody works from what somebody else is doing. And what you're really interested in is what do they do differently from it? Um, and that's what I really love about this. And so you get just one quick example, right, which is both a genre and technical. Uh, the fun with the mirrors, with the inability to see the reflection. You know, we talked about that. We talked about the original Nosferatu doesn't seem to be able to pull that off technically, um, Herzog with his Nosferatu is very kind of almost show-offy about, look how I can do this. These guys take it in an entirely different direction. They take it in two directions. They take it in the direction of humor. Look at how funny these things look like, look look in the mirror. And they take it, I think, even more significantly to a very practical place. How do you know how you look if you're going to go out and you can't see yourself in a mirror? I thought that was absolutely brilliant, completely inconsistent. There's no reason why you wouldn't be able to see the clothes in the mirror without seeing the vampire. But you don't stop and worry about that. You think this is great, and then of course they produce these really, these really poor efforts at drawing each other. I just, to me, that's that's what's brilliant, where they take that convention and they figure out a way to see the humor in the convention.
0: Well, and I will say, you know, part of that is that uh, the, the 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 sort of magic of this movie is that it does not question. The reality that they are vampires who violently feed on other people. So it's like we're not going to interrogate that. It's like, it's like and, and it's, it's like leaning on the fact that we know what vampires are. And these guys aren't struggling with the fact that they are vampires. In fact, we see all of them feasting on people, chasing like we see them doing that. And 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 I think that the, the key is that the one that we see have the most like um graphic scene of it is is viago who is the most um approachable like he's the most like he seems like somebody you know i think taika watiti does a great job of you know because because like like vlad and deacon they seem like they're caught up in the trappings of like like movie vampires a little bit more viago seems like how did this guy end up being a vampire and he's he's sort of a beta male and you know he's 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 far too polite and all of the, you know, he's the one who wants to keep the house clean and those types of things where, you know, um, but he's the one we see actually have the like very bloody, um, you know, encounter when he, you know, when, when he has the woman over and he lays down the newspapers and the towels and he's, you know, um, but then we also see him just covered in blood, uh, which I, I will point out one other great documentary part about that is that they intentionally, when he's standing there covered in blood, they intentionally have this moment where he's trying to like fix his collar and you hear the microphone ruffling yeah, to, like, yeah, yeah. To, to, yeah, to put you into the sense that this is actually a guy who's wired up for sound. Um, but, that, but, but by just accepting that, then it allows us to go into the practicalities of all the other things. So you talked about the... Um, uh, you talked about the, the, not having a reflection, the, 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 idea of like needing to be invited in and just how complicated it is to have like half a night out on the town. I mean, when they're standing there at the bar, trying to convince the bouncer to like, he's like, he wants them to go in, but he's like, no, no, you have to invite us in. And they, <laughs> they, so they can't even get into the place they want to get into because they can't convince somebody. Cause so they're, so, so you buy the, the rest of the set of rules. Um, and I think that stuff is, uh, is really that's the stuff that's fun to think about you know it's um and i think that's that like you said that's the core ends up being the core of the humor of this or even the idea that like you know we never see uh either nosferatu like have to clean up after themselves after they've devoured somebody but this like takes as a reality like yeah there would be a lot of blood around somebody has to deal with that
1: or or reflect on what it means to be a vampire you know you 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 get a little bit of that in in well you actually get quite a bit of that in Nosferatu uh with Herzog and in that case as we talked about last week it's kind of played for pathos um you know poor Nosferatu wants to die he can't die um he misses human love and all that and so (laughs) so this film takes that tension and turns it into as you said we're not going to keep trading funny lines but Wow, this is a great line. One of the unfortunate things about being a vampire is you have to drink human blood. And, and and of course, what's what's humorous about that is, is the illogic of it, right? Because it's not just an unfortunate thing about being a vampire, it, it is the thing about being a vampire. But but what that then kind of shifts your attention to is oh, well, I guess there are other cool things about being a vampire, like as Nick discovers, you can fly. That's really cool. <laughs> you can hypnotize people, you can turn yourself into animals. There's lots of great things about being a vampire, but it's just got this one drawback: you got to drink human blood. So I, I I just I just think that. It's it's what they do with that self awareness. You know, the other direction they take it, and this comes out of the mockumentary style, is you know those on camera one on one moments where they talk about themselves. And Vlad and and, uh, and Vlad talks about how when he was torturing people, he was in a really bad place. Yes, um, which which again is typical of those on camera confessions that uh, that you get in it. So so part of what I love about the film is that they're they're not only um, making a mockumentary, but they're actually making a mockumentary of a couple of different genres at the same at the same time. Uh, and that's, I think, kind of really hard to pull off.
0: Yeah, and another thing, and this is a, another sort of documentary feature that they do that I think is, is brilliantly pulled off, and it has to do with some of the art direction of this movie, is um, that they use... <laughs> I am saying this in quotes archival footage of things yes. and a lot of like 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 the 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 photographs showing the passage of time like them celebrating 1967 and they look exactly the same but especially all of the old like medieval drawings um you know to to sort of you know in some of those things i presume some of those things are just actual Mm -hmm. historical documents and then some are things that they tweak to kind of put themselves in or shape their stories around um and i think that i I love i love the effect that that has to sort of um you know kind of pepper in the idea that there is this larger mythology to them now to, to your point what i what i love about this um and and i to me this is the big idea of this movie in some ways is that each of the you know if we think about our four central vampires we'll forget about peter for a second we can talk about him later because he's his own interesting uh being um each of the main four vlad viago deacon and nick all have kind of regular human struggles that are compounded by being a vampire so it's Mm -hmm. like they have so for example like like in vlad we have this idea that you know some at some point in his encounter with the beast he has lost his confidence, right? So they, they talk about like, he used to be able to turn into any animal. Now he can't get the faces. Right. So it's like, so there is this sense of like, he's the, of the, of the core four, um, he's the oldest one. So there is this sense of like, kind of has to do with him aging <laughs> or like, like feeling like, like he's lost his groove or something, which is, you know, kind of like a mid. he has like a, it feels like a midlife crisis, except what would that be if you were immortal in 800 years old? Also, he has this sort of romantic grudge or this ex, and that's a very human thing that a character might deal with. But what if that was played out over a millennia instead mm. of you know over fifteen years? So, so the 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 comedy or the the fact that they're a vampire compounds those things and makes those things which we can often relate to seem uh, put in a different relief. With as you as you add these other elements onto the characters, and each character has versions of this.
1: Right, of course. Yeah, the, the most obvious way in which that plays out is uh, is Viago and his and his relationship with uh, uh, with Cat, with Catherine. Um, but the other thing that I want to pick up on that you just kind of alluded to, um, Sam, is the. I mean, I, I just love the fact that you know the Beast is played up as this kind of um, a part, uh, character out of Revelation, right? Six, 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 and all that, and it turns out to be you know his ex his ex girlfriend, and that's that's another one of the wonderful. Kind of pathetic lines. Uh, I fought the beast in the toilets of a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but the other kind of semi-serious theme this touches on is is the issue of sexism, right? Um, and the issue of empower, empowerment, we talked about Lucy being empowered in Herzog's Nostratu, but you have Jackie who discovers that, in fact, it doesn't look like um, uh, Deacon's going to keep his word and make her a vampire. And she says that this is this is sexist. She calls them a, uh, a homoerotic um, uh Whatever biting club, right? Um, and so there's a sense that uh, there's a there's also a battle. There's also a battle of the sexes going on at, at the same time,
0: right? And 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 even that, um, even the conversation that they have, where she's talking about the deal, another an, another sort of way that I'm starting to think like, man, that sounds like a familiar conversation. What it sounds like is somebody who is. Uh, it sounds like a couple who are dating where one of them wants to wants a commitment, you know, and the other one is like, no, let's just keep things the way that they are. I like our current arrangement, and the other one. So, so I mean, like again, you see, you see that play out in a thousand sitcoms, a thousand dramas. You know, this 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 couple who thinks they they who, who has a particular relationship and they want it to be different. One of them wants one direction, one wants another direction, and that's compounded when the, when the it's not a. You know, we're dating and we and we should get married, and it becomes uh I we're a a, a vampire and they're is it is it they're regular? Is that what they call it? I forget the name, the the phrase that are familiar, they're familiar. Familiar, familiar, yeah. yeah. Um yeah. and 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 she just would like to become a vampire. And then we get to see that flipped at the end when Jackie becomes a vampire and is talking with um and is talking with her husband and all of a sudden we see that whole thing reversed. Um and and I I absolutely love that. My my favorite um it's not my favorite character, but my favorite version of somebody struggling with real life issues. And I will say, this is one of the things that I found to be deeply, deeply moving in this movie is the character of Nick, right? So Nick creates issues for Deacon because Deacon is the young, the young one. And then Nick all of a sudden replaces him. But there, when you think about Nick, what he is, is he is a person whose life is in transition and we see him like, uh, I mean, the the, the most poignant moment of this is when he finally sits down and tells Stu he's a vampire. And this is such a depiction of somebody coming out, Mm -hmm. right? And he's like, I don't know how Nick's going to take this. I don't know if this Mm -hmm. is going to, like, ruin things between us. And then he, you know, and then he's surprised. He's like, yeah, Nick was actually really cool about it. Nick's a good friend. I would never (laughs) get him. And it's like, 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 uh, that if you've ever if you've ever had a friend come out to you like that's kind of what it feels yeah. like you know I'm yeah. like and I was like wow that is that's like it, it's it's such an interesting take on that you know because even then if you think about the character of Nick like he's somebody who is struggling with identity so his at you know at first he's like okay I'm a vampire and he's he's telling every he's like really out there telling everybody about it. And, and then all of a sudden later on, he's like, actually, maybe there are consequences to this or, you know, maybe there are there are things that um, there are things that uh, aren't so great about being a vampire. Like you can't eat french fries. So we get that awesome scene of him projectile vomiting blood over and over and over again. Um, but but I, I I think the character of Nick trying to, like, figure out what this what his new you know, lifestyle orientation is and how that affects his relationships. Um, I thought that character is just so interesting to me. Yeah.
1: And it's another example with, with both of the, both of the scenes you've mentioned, Sam, it's just another example of how well this film holds intention. Both those moments of, yeah, I mean, I think there are moments of pathos when he, when he has a, when he has that conversation with, with Stu, you're exactly right. This is somebody saying, you know, and, and and even asking and even saying, "Gee, I wonder why you didn't see the signs." Like I, I didn't right. show up for lunch. Uh, I win all the tennis games, and now we play only at night. You know, like like couldn't you kind of tell this is the way I was? Um, but I've got to actually make it explicit. And then yeah, and then like uh, being completely deflated, I can't eat. You know, can't eat chips chips anymore. And one of the really lovely touches, I think, during that phenomenal projectile vomiting scene, if you remember the soundtrack, they're playing. Um, Simon and Garfunkel's El Condor Pasa, uh, which has the lines, I'd rather be a sparrow than a snail. I'd rather be a hammer than a nail. So I just think it's a wonderful little commentary on Nick realizing, you know, this is not, not quite what I, what I signed up for. You can't kind of have the human pleasures and the vampire pleasures at the same time. I also want to say in passing and to, to make a general remark about the film, I don't think any scene goes on too long. I, th- yeah. I, think, I think every scene is the right length. I think about almost little throwaway scenes like Deacon vacuuming the walls while floating um, uh, or just the throwaway line about, I dusted by dragging the body down the hallway. I mean, the, 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 the comic timing of this film is, I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's perfect. Um, I, I, just, I just don't think they p- drag anything out nor do they uh, fail to spend enough time on things.
0: We talked about a little bit this. We talked about the history of this, uh, your, your history with this movie. Were you, were you familiar much with uh, Taika Waititi or especially Jermaine Clement? Because he's also the co- co-writer and director of this yeah, movie. I'm very I, familiar uh, with Jermaine Clement. So
1: Yeah, I can't remember if I, as I said earlier, I can't remember if I was familiar with uh, Taika Waititi. Um, I, I had tried um, uh, Concords okay. and uh, t- couldn't get into it at all. Uh, and so I did not know at the time that was Jermaine Clement. Okay. So.
0: See, I, I'm a huge flight of the Concords fan. Okay. So, so to me, so much of this was like, Oh yeah, that is like, that is his style of humor. Some of those, mm-hmm. some of the, like, like the very little pieces or even again, throw away. I'm sure most of this movie is, is, uh, in fact, I'm almost positive. Most of this movie is kind of ad-libbed, right? That, that a lot of the humor is coming from something happening in the moment. I'm sure this is not a like strictly written movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh but but uh a- as a fan of Flight of the Concords, I could definitely you could definitely like like feel like because that is also about these sort of fish out of water in a different situation. This is this is kind of a, a different version of that. Um another theme in this movie that I really found interesting was um the idea that these these are very old people and when when youth gets in and you know and even like the youngest one is 182 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you enter nick and especially stew into the story right this is about generations this and, and especially all of this stuff with technology the montage of stew teaching them to use a you know to use a cell phone or to use a digital camera or to use the internet um like i i thought that was like i i loved that stuff because it did feel a lot like when you're the, you know when you're introducing your you know your parents or your grandparents to a piece of technology and they like kind of they're both excited about it and they kind of can't get their head around like what it is you're showing them um i thought that stuff was really really well executed too
1: and i i i I love the fact that one of the things they want to see is a is a sunrise uh and then of course they want to see virgins because that's uh, interesting to vampires and then he said he talks about you know google search and what is it viago says oh i I lost a scarf in 1912 yes so then you have that complete, you know, completely in, inappropriate application of, of the uh, of the technology. But yeah, there's there's something almost like childlike about that about them in, in in that respect. And again, that's another thing this film does is that it it humanizes them um, in, in ways that even even more so than humanizing Dracula in Herzog's film as a as a as a person longing for love. It just humanizes them domestically and and obviously uh, in, in in terms of modern city life, and so that humanization I think comes through as they try to figure out the technology, because you know you think oh, vampires you know they're just um they're multi competent, so we've already seen a little bit of that incompetence with uh with with the Argo and the uh the very messy uh uh feasting scene, so I think the notion that even though they're vampires, even though they're supposed to be cool and they think they're cool, um, there's times when they're definitely not cool at all.
0: Well, and I will say, you know, I talked about how there are moments in this movie where I can't explain why I'm genuinely moved by it. The scene where they watch the sunrise. Yeah. Like, I find that, like, honestly, genuinely moving, um, especially because it comes back at the end. When, when, when Deacon thinks that Stu is dead... <laughs> And, you know, and, mm. and, and, and Deacon basically is just sitting at the, sitting at the computer as morning is about to break for real, Yes, watching videos of sunrises. And it's like, like, I like almost want to tear up thinking about that, like something about the way that they executed the first time they saw a sunrise like that. Um, like it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, because maybe it's this it's because these are people who are not born vampires. These are people mm-hmm. who have seen sunrises, but for some of them, it, it's been hundreds of years
1: mm-hmm. and they're
0: able to see something again, you know, that, that, that they're there. This allows them to get something back that they had lost. Yeah. 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 yeah the, um, uh,
1: the, the, the other scene like that, in terms of getting back to something that you've lost, that I also find affecting is when uh, Viago is showing the locket uh, with Catherine and it's silver and he puts it on, even though he knows it's going to burn. And he says, you know, that's as long as I can stand. And so the idea that he feels genuine, genuine love for her uh, is, is, it's very, it's very touching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the other, the other scene in, in, uh... I don't know if you watched the trailer for this movie. This movie gives up a lot of its, uh, a lo- it gives up a lot of its early jokes in the trailer. I think to convince you that this is going to be funny. So um, in the, um, in the trailer, you see the chore wheel, which, which is just a very, like very, that. very funny moment. I, it wasn't as funny in the movie. Cause I died when I saw it in the trailer, like that, that was the charming thing that convinced me. This thought of vampires having a chore wheel um, was, was in debating, you know, when was the last time it was, it was turned. Um, but, but, Another thing that this reminded me of. So and so, we haven't talked about Peter yet. And Peter is, mm-hmm. uh, I love that they basically have you know Nosferatu in mm-hmm. the basement, um, and he's at least the one who made Deacon a vampire. Um, uh so there was a year in my life where I lived uh, in when I lived in Mobile, Alabama, my first year out of college. I lived with four elderly. I say elderly, the youngest one was 62. The oldest one was 86. So I was 22. So for all intents and purposes, uh, much older uh, Catholic monks. And mm-hmm. we lived in a house together. Uh, and I have to tell you, there is something about thinking about this movie. Because uh, we had we had one, who, one, one of the monks was was retired and much, much, much older. And that was Brother John. And even things like when they have the flat meeting and they're like, Peter's 8,000 years old. I invited him, but he's not going to come. I promise you we had that conversation about brother John that it's like, yeah, yeah. Like we invited John, but he's, he's not going to come to this, you know, and, and, and we would have these kind of, uh, frustrating conversations like the ones they had about chores, because in that case, because it's this intentional community, we have to make communal decisions on things that are like, Mm -hmm. do we really have to talk about this? Can we just do it? Um, but, but, but there was there was something in that flat meeting that remind, and, I, and when I was living there, I thought to myself, I feel like I'm living in a sitcom because mm. we had like, we had these people who were from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, vastly different ages, all living together in this one house. And I was like, mm. that almost perfectly describes the setup to this movie. So, so it hit close to home in terms of that.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. And I, and I think that's the, that's the reminders you said, Sam, that one of the, poignant things about vampires is that they were human and we don't know how any of them became vampires you know we know that jackie wants to be a vampire we don't know how but but even if they made a deal even if they invited becoming a vampire it's as though as with any commitment that you make in life you don't always know the full cost of what that exactly means so and and i think and i think that's why nick is such an interesting character because um you know nick after initially resisting kind of embraces what's happening by the way I also should say that you talked earlier about some of the technique of the film including handheld camera that chase scene where they're chasing Nick it's actually kind of scary I mean it's pretty terrifying and it is a moment when you realize yeah they are vampires they 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 are they are as one of them says um uh they're uh at one at one point I think it's Deacon or something says uh or no, no, it's, it's Vlad who says that uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're not only the, the, the bait, but we're also the trap. Yes. So you, 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 realize, you realize that this is what they do. And so part of me, I, I will have to admit, halfway through that chasing, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to stop thinking about the fact that this is a documentary because I really don't see how this camera is following them around at this kind of speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more than one camera seems to be involved. I'm not going to think about that. Um, but, it, but it's again, it's another one of those moments where uh, it's bravura filmmaking. It's really well done. And it's for a few minutes, it's really kind of scary. So the film kind of takes you into that world to remind you, yeah, they're still they're dangerous beasts after all. So, so beware.
0: Yeah, and, and and you know, in terms of filmmaking, it also gives you uh one of the few like kind of jump scare moments in the movie because cause what's great about the filmmaking is it's so dark in the house. So you have all of this like it feels like a found footage horror movie almost for a while, right? Yes. And and you all of the sudden realize without him telling you, oh, Nick has made it out of the house. You you hmm. can tell by mostly by sound, like oh, he's running on concrete now he's out of the house, and it's at that point when Peter gets him, and like that's a genuine jump scare yes. moment because you <laughs> think like, okay, he's made it out, you don't think this guy's gonna be a character in the movie, you think this he was here for this scene, and then all of a sudden that happens, and then it has this long standing ramification of he's now part of the family <laughs> you know he he's he he's now you know ends up being part of this um part of this community uh I loved uh Or I should say I read somebody talking about how you know the idea of having Peter, especially Peter in the basement, kind of hidden away, is also uh, a commentary on like you know this is this movie's made in the the uh, kind of vampire renaissance of the early 2000s when you have your your twilights and your true bloods and your things like this where like mm-hmm. the sexy vampires is kind of this thing and it's this idea of like the like the true film history of vampires are there hidden in the basement and we don't really talk about them but they're there you know so so it's i, I, I like that And there's even a great um original Nosferatu reference the first thing you see in the movie right is yep. Diago getting up and he gets up in the slow <laughs> the slow rise almost like he's showing off for the camera of like look I can do what Nosferatu does but 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 he but it's a little bit
1: glitchy right he, he doesn't quite I mean he he's doing it but he hasn't quite got it right it's
0: effortful right he has to really try to do it yeah
1: right and uh it's interesting because evidently according to one source the the vampire films that they most appreciate are actually vampire films I either don't know very well or don't know at all the the three that they were credited are the lost boys bram stoker's dracula uh an interview with the vampire i think i saw interview with the vampire but that's how memorable it was i think i saw it um bram stoker's dracula of course is a coppola film and so um vlad's appearance as a vampire is very much borrowed from gary oldman's uh version in, in coppola's film um i, I i've read two different things about uh, Taika Waititi's uh, Vampire. One was, I read, I can't I actually kind of agree with this one, it's based a little bit on the Hammer horror films. You know, we haven't talked about the Hammer vampire films because those are kind of campy without being, uh, without being parodies. But they're very close to, to parody, but they're also very effective. Anyway, he kind of looks, he does look a little bit like Christopher Lee in those, in those films. And then as we've already pointed out, um, obviously Peter is based on, 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 on Nosferatu. Um, and then I don't really know who Deacon's supposed to, supposed to look like. Um, Deacon is an interesting case. We haven't talked about another really kind of serious element of the film, which I think really risks bad taste. And that is the idea that he was a Nazi vampire. Um, it seems a little, it seems like a kind of an odd moment in, in, in the film. And it makes you wonder whether this is kind of setting, uh, Taika Waititi up for uh, Jojo Rabbit. Uh, later on this kind of interest in nazism but of course i think what they're trying to go there you know it's bad enough to be a vampire bad enough to be a nazi but to be a nazi vampire that's really beyond the pale
0: well okay i'm going to ask you this question Then i was going to save this to the end but i'm curious so this this movie comes out in 2014 it has its origins in a 2005 short film called what we do in the shadows interviews with some vampires Mm -hmm. um have you seen that
1: no, I wish I
0: had, but okay, I, I watched it yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, I found it on I found it on YouTube with Russian subtitles. I'm not going to question where it came from. It was there. I watched it. <laughs> um and what's interesting is uh it it says something about uh, filmmaking as well because it sh- it shows filmmaking as an iterative process. Hmm. Because it is it is so clear they made this and that the 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 short definitely feels like it was done in an improvisational style. I assume a lot of it was. We set up some cameras. We had people do some like talking heads to cameras. Then we walked out on the streets, dressed up, and there they. I think they're just real people reacting to them. You know, they like walking around, talking to people on the streets a little bit. Um, I don't think some of that stuff was uh, was 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 planned out as much. But the 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 Nazi vampire thing comes up there, but it does come up in a different way. It's not Deacon telling this story i think it actually is i think it's viago so i think it is taika who said who says to deacon tell us tell tell them about your backstory tell them about when you were a nazi so i wonder if that was like Mm -hmm. just an ad-lib in the moment that stuck with them and they said well let's build that out into this movie so in the short there's lots of little things that they mention offhandedly that then become bigger set pieces in the movie so so i I would highly if you if you like what we do in the shadows i highly recommend going and and watching. it's like 20 28 minutes watching that short because if nothing else you see a step in the process of like here's our here's a first draft of what this could be um kind of a proof of concept and then here's us blowing that idea out So a quick
1: sidebar just for our audience's edification. Um, Right off the top of my head, I can think of two other full-length films that started as shorts, and maybe you can add to that, Sam. But um, uh, Wes Anderson's first film, Bottle Rocket, uh, was originally a short. And then uh, the first, I think it's the first film that um, Billy Bob Thornton directed, Sling Blade. Uh, That started as a short. Some call it a Sling Blade. And there's probably a few others, but those are the ones that pop up in my head right away. And I really like what you said about this notion of filmmaking being iterative, iterative and how uh, people do these short films and then they discover, Oh, I've actually got an idea for, for a longer film.
0: Um, Yeah. And, and I actually think there's, I think there's actually quite a big history of that. I think if you dig into a lot of people's first films um, you can find origins in film school projects or, yeah. or things like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Oh yeah, that's true. Spike Lee, um, yeah. uh, she's got to have it. That was uh, that was originally a short for film school. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Another character that I think is is crucial to this movie, and I th- it, it seems like from what I read, this actor didn't know he was crucial to this movie. Was the guy who plays Stu, who was just a friend of Taika Waititi's, yeah. uh, and he and he convinced him to be in this, and the, I don't think he knew that he was. Essentially, the central heart of this movie is this guy, Stu, Um, because what I love about him is he complicates the he complicates the relationships because it is, you know, we, we talked about sort of the coming out moment with Nick, but then Nick introduces them to everybody else. And there's this great scene where Nick is even talking to Peter and he's like, there's this guy, Stu, in the house. He's a human. We've all decided not to eat him. He's a really good guy. Everybody seems to like him. So it's like, can we convince Peter also to let Stu be? And apparently Stu is, although he's the dullest person in some ways, I mean, he's, he's played off that way. It's like, he has charmed everyone. And I, I just love, I love Stu in this movie and, you know, and, and, and they always want him to talk about what he does with computers and stuff, (laughs) although they don't understand it. and,
1: And also don't turn him into a vampire because he's a vegetarian. Yes, uh, it would be really awful for him to have to drink hu- human blood, and then at the uh, at, at the uh, at the masquerade, he is uh, somebody says to him, oh, so you're so you're predeceased. Yes. Um, and, and they ask him if he's, a, if he's a demon, but he's not. He's a software analyst. Yes. <laughs> uh,
0: which means he's a virgin also. <laughs>
1: which means he's a virgin. That's right. <laughs> but he's Nick's plus one, right?
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love the argument of why it's okay because the invitation said plus one. So. That's right um you know and and i will say that the masquerade also point and 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 also when they first go out on the town points to this larger world too they talk about how there's 60 or 70 vampires who live in the greater wellington area and you have the zombies and the witches and these different societies that come together on this one night. i the the um the the masquerade scene must have been just so much fun to do it's like seeing the zombie you know almost neurotically talk about like you know like the difficulties of being a zombie and how hard it is to catch up with people and like I I loved all of the different kind of little quick characterizations you get and I wonder like um, again this is this is a movie that gets made in the editing I wonder how much they filmed there mm-hmm. and then just like picked out the just the the, the best little bits for that um, the other group then that I that I really love in part because I love uh, I love Reese Darby who's one of the uh Mm. The standouts in um in flight of the concords is the, the 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 werewolves as like the rival supernatural gang um is fantastic right and 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 that that to me that's some of the some of the best side comedy in this is uh is the werewolves and again the practice the different set of practicalities of being a werewolf and how they sort of seem like they're spending their time trying to not be werewolves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like okay we got to we got to chain ourselves up. We got to we have to um, conduct ourselves appropriately because we're werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> and All that stuff I just think is so, so funny. I, I, you know, or, or even like he's talking about like the kind of pants that they're wearing. It's like, that's right. Just bought yeah. that jacket. You're going to ruin that jacket. You need to wear track pants because you can expand into it. I mean, like just again, the, we, get, we just get this glimpse of this other potential movie sitting there but you
1: can also tell it's a 21st century film right because um un- unlike something like West Side Story and, uh, and having the you know the, the rumble is not the end of it they actually have to come to some kind of um some kind of uh, rapprochement and of yeah. course Stu, Stu is the means of that right it's because because now Stu is a were- Stu is a werewolf and so now he becomes kind of the connection between the two groups but i but i love it when the, when they come into the house and i think I think it might be Vlad who says, make sure they don't pee on everything. Yes. <laughs> just a little notion. They're, they're basically just dogs and, and, yes. uh, and watch out for them. But then you also have the wonderful moment, if you can call it that, after they think that Stu is, is dead. And uh, Deacon is trying to comfort Nick. And it says, you know, he's probably a little upset uh, having seen his best friend disemboweled by werewolves. Um, so there's this notion of you know I, i've got to somehow reach out uh, again it's that human element of still being the vampire
0: well it's also it's also just another thing you get with mockumentaries. it's a great cringe scene where he's trying to make nick feel better and he's like he goes through all the other ways that people die yes one yes, of them yes. is making a mask out of crackers and being attacked <laughs> by ducks um and, you know and then he ends by saying you know this is probably the way Stu wanted to go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but but okay so thinking about that the the that ending where where the werewolves come to the house what what struck me is that is also such um it is the ending of the movie swingers as well if you remember oh. like they have that other gang and yeah. you know or the other group you know and they're like and and there's the gun that gets pulled and all that. And then at the end, they're all like together and like, and it's, you know, in that it's, it's the Vince Vaughn character, Trey, who is the link between them all. And in this, it's Mm -hmm. Stu, a very non charismatic person who is the person who ties them all together. So it, it it felt a lot like the end of that. And I really, I really liked that, uh, that touch as well. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this movie? Yeah,
1: I guess one other thing I want to talk about is in in general, um, I, I love a humor that can both be relatively sophisticated uh, linguistically, but at the same time can be kind of entertaining or even dumb physically. So that's why I, I, I love Monty Python. Um, and I think this film has some of that going on. And the, 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 thing that, the, the scene that expresses that for me is when they're trying to decide what to do with Nick because he's been the cause of, of Peter's death. Um, And, of course, I love the whole setup, right? He's going around in the bar saying, I'm a vampire, and this guy says, I'm a vampire hunter. Well, he really is. Uh, Why not? If there's vampires living in Wellington, why wouldn't there be vampire hunters? But anyway, what I love is when they put him on trial, and they get into this argument about the meaning of indefinitely. (laughs) I just you know, it, it, it gets so pedantic. Well, you know, I mean, it means, you know, there's no end. No, it means there's no, no, is there's no set term. Uh, and then that's immediately followed by the procession of shame, right. In which they all gather around him saying, shame, shame, shame. It's so, so anticlimactic. Well, but and, and the, best part about, yeah.
0: the best part about the procession of shame is that it also ends relatively quickly. <laughs> like yes. you see him do it and then you're like, okay, you can go. And like <laughs> that, That's it. That's all that there was to that. Um, Yes, my my favorite version of 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 uh, of of something like that is is right before that when the I love when the cops come. Oh yeah. And yeah. and the cops sort of take over and they're they're even like addressing the camera and they're I mean it feels like you're watching an episode of cops for a little while there. Um but he does the um the the hypnotism so the only thing that they see is the lack of smoke detectors and <laughs> and then and then later on he does the thing and he's like, "Oh, actually yes, there's a smoke detector." Like he he hypnotizes him to think that there's a smoke detector in the basement. Um but but the the best part of this is as they're leaving or as they're going back upstairs uh uh Deacon says we should eat them and Vlad says, "No, let's wait to see what other safety tips they have." <laughs> because <laughs> Vlad's like yeah we can actually probably learn from them about there's probably other unsafe things in the house so uh, yeah, I yeah I I'm so charmed by um by the the really everybody in this movie you know other than Peter's not particularly charming but everybody else is so charming to listen to um and to sort of get into their they they, they, they sell you on their sort of point of view whenever they get to be on screen
1: there's also a moment in that basement scene that uh, I, I watched it twice to be sure I'd seen what I'd seen, where you see the, uh, the boom mic uh, very quickly at the top of the frame. And, you know, what I wasn't sure about that was whether they, they liked the scene, so they left it in even though they knew it had that, that moment. Or if it was a deliberate reminder that it is, it, it, this is a mockumentary and there's somebody out there filming it. Or a combination of the two uh they're they're editing the film and they say oh no we got the boom mic at the top of the frame what do you want to do and then they said oh well let's leave it in it's a documentary after all so anyway my guess is
0: my guess is that's the case because it is it is also a version of the mic ruffling when he adjusts his shirt it's like yeah we can can do that and we can remind people what this is but it may also have been a, a happy accident of like yeah that actually works just fine
1: and that's how filmmaking works sometimes
0: yes because right? <laughs> there's also the moment at the masquerade where they remind you that there's a, not only Stu as a human but there's also a film crew with them right <laughs> and it's like oh wait the film crew would be in danger as well it's one thing to say these three vampires aren't going to attack you it's another thing to walk into this uh this party who, with other people who have not agreed so yes uh anything else with this movie
1: yeah, I, I, well, since, since we've we restrained ourselves in doing lines, just just, just a, couple, a couple more lines that I, I love. Um, uh, we're vampires. We don't put down towels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then this is something you commented on earlier, really, Sam, but there will be tension in Eddie, flatting situation. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, and finally, I, I, I love this when he gets together with Catherine at the end, right? And he says, people are going to talk about the age difference. And of course, you know, what we're thinking of is how young Viago looks and how old Catherine is. And he says, no, what is this 96 year old doing with a man four times her age? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just said, that's, that's
0: lovely. I will close by just the great, the, the, the great line about doing his dark bidding and the dark bidding is bidding on eBay. And I, I love that as well. So what do you have for us for next week?
1: Well, um, I, think, I, I think, Sam, it, this was either our 100th film. This or, is 100, yes. Okay. So then I'm going to say that what I want to do for our next film is we'll start our second 100 with a, uh, with a landmark in cinema. Uh, we're going to go back to F.W. Murnau uh, and back to one of the great films of the silent era, Sunrise, from 1927, uh, which was Murnau's first Hollywood film. Uh, and uh, readily available, you can watch it free on YouTube. It's also on uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, but it's just one of those kind of monuments of cinema history that we need to uh, we need to enjoy.
0: Oh, I'm so excited! When I started to read about Murnau, and I read and I realized that the one film I knew from him was Nosferatu, but that's not even his great film. That this is actually the one regarded as a great film. I, like I said, I think in that episode, I think this is top ten or top five on the site and yeah, song list. That's like, a big one. yeah. I'm very, very excited for this. So Barrett, thank you so much for, for recommending this movie. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for the 100 films. So one of the things I'll be doing this week is I'll be putting together my list of ranking our, the 100 films that we've watched. Um, I have it almost done, but I have to add in, uh, I have to add in the, the last couple of vampire films in there and figure out kind of, kind of where they, uh, where they fit in. I have to say we've watched four vampire films and yeah. I've loved them all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, little spoiler on my list i do think let the right one in is my favorite of them yes. i really that that movie was it was really phenomenal um so thank you for uh for recommending this thank you for the conversation that is all the time that we have but we will be back next week to talk about sunrise in the video store